Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Um, it's been a while since I've done this, but I'm happy to be back and uh, standing before you. Um, we had a really good Bible class this morning, and uh, you know, I was just thinking I've had a really good past couple weeks. I've uh, gotten some good news and, and things like that, so you know, I'm I'm riding kind of high, but. It's always good to have uh, a Bible class like that, a study like that, where you just kind of bring yourself back down and, you know, things are going well physically, but, you know, there's always a spiritual portion where you have to, you know, realize the alternative and realize that uh, hell is a real place, it is eternal, and uh, it is an option if we aren't faithful and always doing what's right. So uh, I just thought it was a really good class, and, uh, you know, nobody was smiling while we were doing it, it was a very somber uh, tone, but it's something we all need to think about and realize and apply to our lives. So this morning, um, I would like to talk about the title of my lesson uh, is Spiritual Gambling, a High Stakes Game. So that's what I've titled it, and you know, I'm sure you can understand where that's coming from and what that's referring to. You know, matters of the soul are of the utmost importance. Uh, and so, you know, when we uh, make a decision based on spiritual things, it can have a profound effect on, you know, a, a profound outcome uh, in the grand scheme of things. <coughs> and so with that being said, uh, just a brief overview. Uh, I want to talk about uh, something that's uh, just got on my mind uh, a few months ago, uh, and that's the emergence of sports betting. And we'll kind of look at that and uh, some of the things associated with that. And then uh, I'll tell a few gambling stories. And uh, from the Bible, what I, you know, what I would consider to be uh, gambling stories. And then we'll uh, make some application to ourselves. So to begin with, uh, talk about the emergence of sports betting. You know, to me, it's just erupted uh, over the past few years, and it's everywhere now. You know, we see more commercials. That's something that has, you know, struck me uh, watching TV. It's just like every other commercial is something about sports betting, you know, and uh, it's just become so large with more participants, uh, more revenue. And I found this uh, online. You can see... It has tripled, over tripled over the past, that's starting in 2018, $430.7 million of revenue in the United States, and now it's up to over $1.5 billion. So people are really putting a lot of money on this stuff, and it has just grown exponentially over the past three years, and, and it's continuing to grow. And, and you know, it's something that uh, my uh, classmates at school and stuff are talking about all the time. Oh, well, I have, you know, I put so much on this game and, and, and so on. It's just become huge. Everybody's doing it. And so, you know, um, this is not to con condone gambling in any way. Um, I'm not, you know, supporting it or advertising for it or anything like that. And just a few passages to kind of, you know, give uh, my thoughts and, and uh, just the Bible's perspective on gambling, uh, starting in Acts uh, 20. In verse 35, it says, <clears throat> I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must, must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, I mean, to me, uh, he's telling us that we ought to labor uh, to earn our income, uh, not to just go uh, take a chance on some external 
thing uh, to make money. Uh, then you look at uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and in verse 18 it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. So, uh, you know, He gives us the ability to go out and earn money uh, to provide for ourselves and our families, and so should we, we should be using that avenue to go make money. And to me, one of the things that sticks out the most, um, and it just gives me personal conviction, uh, is in John chapter 19, uh, down in, uh, starting in verse 23. It says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. So for me, I'm looking at this example of gambling for Christ's tunic right after they put him to death. And you look at the party of people who's doing it. And so for me, it's not something I want to be associated with because um, I think that casts a pretty uh, dark uh, shadow on it. So this is a short course on sports betting. Uh, I, I was curious myself because these days when you, uh, you're watching a game or you're you know, watching a, a sports uh, commentating a show or something like that they're analyzing. Uh, nowadays, it's not, well, you know, this person, this team has this percent chance to win. It's like, these are the odds for the game. And so I became curious, and uh, so I just dug up a couple of, uh, I guess, facts and uh, definitions. So anyway, a money line is, are simply the odds that a team or an individual will win. Okay, and so it's kind of counterintuitive, and that's one of the reasons why I was wondering, because I was always looking, and the team that was going to win was like a negative bet, and so I, I just thought that was kind of weird. But so basically, if they have plus 150, uh, this is like based on $100, if you were betting $100, plus 150 means a $100 bet wins $150, if you're correct in your bet. And a minus 150 means that uh, a $150 bet wins $100 uh, if it hits. And so um, that's just your basic money line. And then you have a spread. Um, that's betting on a team to win by a certain amount of points. Uh, so, for example, you know, if Kentucky, it was minus uh, five and a half for Kentucky, then UK needs to win by six or more points to win this bet. So if you, if you take uh, that, the uh, spread, then, uh, you know, Kentucky, in order to cover the spread, they say they need to win by six or more points. And then we have the uh, over-under, uh, betting on a sum total um, of, a, of a statistic, usually points. You're betting that, you know, Kentucky and say, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, St. Peter's. Uh, they combine for more or less than 140 points. Uh, so if you take the over, then, you know, you could win uh, on a $100 bet, you would win $110. If you take the under, uh, you know, they're, they're going to score combined less than 140 points then. Uh, uh, then you're going to win a um, $100 bet will, or $110 bet will uh, win $100. So that's just, uh, and then one more uh, parlay is you can do like a combination of these bets and roll it all into one and make more money or lose more money. So uh, anyway, those are just uh, a few of the basic uh, principles of sports betting. So now into some gambling stories. Um, I looked up some 
secular gambling stories as well, but uh, you know, I couldn't really find a good one. There was one though, I thought it was pretty good. Um, this guy and his son, I think it was, they were heading to, their, uh, heading to his daughter's wedding and uh, they had a pretty good pile of cash that, there that they were planning on using, you know, spending, and part of it was his daughter's gift. Well, they went and they started gambling and well, next thing he knew, he had $100 left, had spent a lot of his daughter's uh, wedding gift and all kinds of stuff, so he got a little bit uh, crazy. Turns out he took that last $100, he's like, well, I got nothing to lose, threw it on there and ended up winning back more than he had originally. So he got lucky, but I uh, can't imagine getting to the point where you're spending your daughter's wedding gift. So anyway, we'll jump into the scriptures. Uh, so I, I, this is uh, from Genesis 3, and uh, these aren't necessarily literal gambling stories, but rather figurative and how that they're gambling, you know, betting for or against God in essence. And so, uh, you know, this is kind of the first gamble in history, and this is Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. All right? And so, if you will, turn over to Genesis 3, and we'll just kind of look at this story. So, uh, it says here, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the, in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And, of course, from here, we know what happens. Uh, God approaches them, uh, confronts them about uh, their disobedience. Um, but focusing on that first part there, the serpent sold the fruit as an unbelievable deal. You know, there is no chance of losing this bet. I mean, he took what God said, and he just put not in front of it. And Adam and Eve were like, okay, you know, that makes sense to us. But in all reality, you know, we, we know how that went. You know, um, Eve took the bet, and then all of them paid. And so, um, you know, they were deceived by the devil. They took the gamble against what God had said, and they lost. Um, and so they all had to pay for it. Of course, they were uh, death was introduced into the world, um, and then uh, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. And of course, the serpent uh, paid as well. So another gambling story, uh, and this one is about Jonah. And I'm taking this from Jonah. So um, let's go into uh, Jonah there, and we'll just kind of read through some of. Uh, Some of this story. So it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down in, into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lower parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said one to, an, to one another, Come, let us cast lots so we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Hmm. Coincidence. Then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, the God of, the, of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And so from here, Jonah, he uh, does the right thing uh, and uh, volunteers to be thrown out of the sea because he realizes this is all his fault. He bet against God, and uh, he paid dearly. So uh, anyway, uh, from here, like I said, it's, it shows a man betting that he can get away from God, that he can hide from God, that he can get away to Tarshish. And... Uh, you know, I kind of liken this to, uh, it's like people who took the spread, Kentucky, you know, uh, minus two and a half over Tennessee in the SEC tournament. Well, uh, like those people, Jonah lost. Go Vols. Oh, it just won't go away. I don't know what it is. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, so, anyway, uh, Jonah, he did, he had a bad attitude towards Nineveh. You know, you see... Uh, you know, it describes it as a great city and very wicked. And in Jonah's mind, he didn't feel that they deserved God's forgiveness. You know, they'd been very wicked in their ways. And um, so, in his mind, he felt like they deserved to pay for their wickedness. And on top of that, I mean, you could kind of, we, we can very much relate to the fact that he's going into this great city with wicked people and he's going to cry out against them and he's going to rebuke them. Well, what happens if the people of that city turn on him? You know, and uh, so there, there are a few things to consider there. And, you know, Jonah had decent reasoning, I guess you would say, to uh, um, not want to go to Nineveh. But, you know, taking the bet against God, um, you know, that uh, maybe wasn't the wisest thing to do because you're going to lose that one every time. And so his decision to flee didn't work out. And then I, I think about, you know, I was just thinking about as I was studying for this, you know, Jonah's in this dark, murky water, boisterous sea. You know, and, uh, you know, what do we do when we're just in the ocean, you know, about waist deep or something like that, and a fish bumps our leg? Oh, it's a shark. We see a fin out uh, just a little, uh, a, bit, a little bit away from us, and, uh, you know, we're like, oh, man, that's, that's a shark. We never think it's a dolphin. It's a shark, right? Well, imagine you're in this, and you're, you know, you're in deep, and uh, something just comes up and just completely swallows you. I can't imagine the terror. And, uh, you know, as a you know, a child, uh, like some of the children's book depicted as, I think it had like Jonah sitting there on a pallet, you know, with, uh, and, and just sitting there pretty comfortably. But I would imagine he was probably in tight quarters and a lot of distress and discomfort over those three days. And of course, praying to God and, and he was granted deliverance, but Jonah's betting days were over. You know, he listened to God, he obeyed God and he went to Nineveh. Uh, it wasn't out with, without some griping, it, uh, after this, but he did go and, and he did preach and, and Nineveh, uh, a lot of the people of Nineveh, Nineveh listened. So the, the last story uh, comes from Luke 22. And, uh, you know, this is really just about uh, the attempt to kill Jesus. And in my mind, you know, I, I think this is the most egregious gamble. Um, and so basically, we'll, we'll just read a little bit there. Um, Starting in verse 1, now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. 
So they wanted to kill him, but you know there was some uh, hesitancy as the people certainly uh, followed Christ and listened to him. But uh, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how, they, how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. And uh, so, you know, from, from there, you know, there's a lot of plotting that goes on. They meet Christ out and, uh, you know, um, take him into captivity. And then over the next... Uh, bit, you know, he's he's going into trials. He's being beaten, uh, mocked, spit on, all those things, and uh, you know, kind of some backstory. The reason for all this is, you know, Christ walked in righteousness. He rebuked the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the priests. You know, they so they had beef, right? And uh, um, it was all on their part. Uh, they were unable to refute his parables, his miracles, or any other teachings. They could, they had. No answer to what he was saying, and they despised him for it because he made them look bad. And so they plotted to kill him. You know, we can't beat him, so let's just take his life. Um, but, you know, they, they, uh, they were wrong in that. Uh, they did partially succeed. Of course, Christ did die, but he rose again three days later. Uh, you know, death couldn't, uh, uh, he overcame death and, and came back to life, and, and those people had uh, really uh, messed up at that point. And so looking in uh, Luke 23, in verse 44, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened... He glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. So here we go, instant remorse. Christ has just given up the ghost. The veil of the temple was torn in two, and the centurion, and probably others as well, realized we've done a very bad thing. Um, and, and it was an immediate regret, and, you know, kind of paraphrasing what he said, we shouldn't have taken that bet, you know. And um, so, anyway... Uh, from there, you know, I'd just like to make some application as to how, uh, first of all, losing is a common theme for those who go against God. There's never been anybody who's gone against God and had sustained success. You know, we think about the people of today who are very unrighteous and wicked, having pretty good success here physically, but that's not going to last. And, uh, you know... While we see these accounts and we're like, well, these are terrible people, you know, they made some really bad decisions, it seemed kind of obvious. And, um, you know, we need to be careful of that because that can very easily be us, and it has been us on many occasions because we know from Romans 3.23. From Romans 3.23 it says there, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all sin and we fall short. We do it continuously and we have to be careful of that because all the time we're gambling, you know, um, we take a lot of gambles in our lifetime. You know, I'll straighten up after fill in the blank or just one blank won't hurt. But, you know, we have to be very careful about that because there have been a lot of instances where that one thing was something that did somebody in and, and certainly spiritually as well. So we just have to be very careful about that and the gambles that we take and um, make sure that their gambles 
for God and not against God. So with that, um, <clears throat> I would just like to talk about, uh, you know, let's review some of the things that we know um, that, that we know to be truth. Okay, first of all, in uh, 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, turn over there. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So first of all, what we find is that, uh, you know, Christ will return. That's, that's inevitable. It's been discussed. We've been warned here, warned here. Christ will return. Okay. Then we look over in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 10. It says there, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, we're all going to come, come before the judgment, and we're going to be judged. And then we have Romans 6 and verse 23. And we find there that the wages, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we talked about today, um, the wages of sin is death, and the punishment for that in Matthew 25, 41 is everlasting punishment. It lasts forever, uh, hellfire, and uh, so we, these are the things that we know if you do not obey God, if you bet against God, this will happen. Christ will return, we'll all be judged, and you will be condemned because the wages of sin is death, and then the punishment for that is uh, everlasting uh, condemnation in hell. And so let's compare this to what we know about the righteous. So in Matthew 6 and verse 33, um, for the sake of time, I won't read those but we'll just make reference a righteous person in Matthew 6 33 it says a righteous person person seeks God first so you know we've got a lot of stuff going on in our lives but out of all those things we're always going to seek God first and then uh, John 14 and verse 15 uh, if you love me keep my commandments so a righteous person's love for God and desire for heaven is shown through obedience so if we're seeking God first and that is our goal, is to get to heaven, then we're going to obey him in all things. What he has legislated in the Bible and in his word, those are the things that we're going to do. And in Luke 12, 42 through 44, this is uh, the, the parable about a good steward, uh, and we're told that a good steward will be rewarded. If you do what's right and you obey God, uh, then you will be rewarded. And, uh, you know, that reward is hearing at the end of our lives, enter in, good and faithful servant. And from there, you know, we talked about today, just as hell goes on forever, heaven goes on forever in all of its glory. So, um, you know, you've been gambling a little bit. You bet on UK over UT, something like that. But no, you, you've, you've been gambling with your soul, and uh, you've lost your money. You've become spiritually bankrupt. You're in sin. You know, the good thing is, Today, right now, you have hope in that you can, you know, repent and obey. Um, 
certainly you still have a chance, but you know, right now um, it's the only chance that we know that we have. Uh, there may not be a tomorrow, but right now we're here. You have an opportunity. We always extend the invitation, whether you've never obeyed or whether you have obeyed in the past, but you've gone astray. But now is the only time that we know that, that we have, and if you have any need, uh, come forward as we stand and as we sing.